Welcome to Sympathy for the Devil, a podcast about addiction with James Marshall and Adam Manovic. What is addiction? In this podcast, we explore addiction in its many and varied forms, from sugar to love, from alcohol to gambling, from work to sex. You can get addicted to heroin and alcohol, but can you get addicted to your phone or computer game? In this podcast, we talk to people whose lives have been affected by addiction. This is a program that explores what is and what it means to be addicted. Warning, the content of this program contains material that some people might find disturbing. Hello and welcome to Sympathy for the Devil. Uh, I'm Adam and this is James. Hi, James. Hi, Adam. So uh, today we're going to talk about your story, James, and uh, I guess your journey um, and your struggles with addiction. We've talked about quite a few different addictions on the Sympathy for the Devil podcast. And uh, you've told me before that you're a multi-drug user or yeah, multi-substance poly, user. Yeah, poly-drug user. Tell me what you mean by poly-drug user, because I think that's a really interesting uh, way to describe yourself. Yeah, well, Adam, I've always um, used something ever since I could conceive that you could take something to change your feelings. Like, as a little boy, you realise that you can actually take a substance to change the way you feel. And as soon as that clicked within me, um, whatever I could kind of get my hands on to change the way I felt, I kind of got. Um, you know, it started off with alcohol. Um, pot was big for a long time for me. Pills, uh, all kinds of what pills. What types of pills? Uh, well, all kinds of pills, both prescription from different doctors over the years and also um, LSD, MDA, ecstasy, anything that I could um, get, really. And, uh, I, I, yeah, so, I mean, that was all, you know, but, but really, like, a lot of my peers were using drugs, too. I mean, What was, era was this? This was, I, I, I went to school in the 70s um, and early 80s. Um, and at the time, you know, there was a lot of hedonism, nihilism. Um, it was all kind of, uh, yeah, everyone was kind of, I didn't seem as though I was the odd one out. I didn't seem to have a problem. Um, we were always, uh, every Friday night, scoring something. Um, occasionally it was heroin. Didn't seem to be a big deal at the time. Needle. So heroin wasn't a big deal? No, not really. I mean, it was just part of how I grew up and the people I hung with. It was kind of like we used to inject cocaine, inject heroin, get drunk, smoke par- marijuana, um, take acid. Um, and I guess, you know, it was just... I mean, this is why i kind of um, interested in doing a program called Sympathy for the Devil about addiction. It's because it just fascinates me... Um, the way some people are able to put it down like because my peer group did put it down and I just continued on and it took me a long time to realize that I actually did have a problem I remember um, when I finished university I thought I'll get out of all this drug I was using a lot of speed at the time um, and I just thought I would leave the country with my partner we went over to America and I worked in the film industry there in Los Angeles and um, got a job pretty quickly you know when you're young you know things turn tend to work out for you for some reason and and it was really good but I remember as soon as I, basically I went there and I thought okay it's a clean slate 
you know, I'm not going to do any of that. I'm just going to concentrate on my career. I've somehow scraped through university on speed. Now I'm in LA. I'm kind of going to be a good boy. But within a week, I was trying to score crack off the street. And, um, you know, I was just fascinated with crack because it, it wasn't in Australia and it was the re- really big rage in America. We're hearing all about the crack epidemic. Mm. So explain to, to me what crack is. Well, it's... Crack today, I think, is, is is crystal meth. They call that crack. But crack in the 80s was this... Um, it was like a rock of cocaine. It was a synthesised cocaine. Mm. And you could put it up your nose? Or no, you, can... you had to smoke it, it had okay. to at a very high temperature. You're like, you so that's the freebasing? Freebasing, yeah. And it gave you a really big rush. Like, But it only lasted like a couple of minutes and then you just needed more. And um, I didn't really... You know, I, I used it. But didn't really like it, you know. But at the same time, I was drinking, like always drinking, you know. Alcohol was always there as my kind of fallback guy, and pot was always fallback guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good old reliable alcohol. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was legal. It's a legal drug you can just go and pick up anywhere. But um, you know, I, I remember in Los Angeles, you know, my partner like did kind of say, "You've got a problem with drugs, and you need to do something about it." And um, I remember I um, said, okay, I'll uh, go to rehab in LA. And um, the only one I could find... As, as you do. As you do. I, the only one I could find was um, Scientology. And um, they're, the, <laughs> <laughs> they're the only ones that would take me for some reason. And I sold my Cadillac because I had a really nice car, an old two-door Cadillac. And I paid the fee to get in there for a couple of weeks. And, um, I mean, they had really no idea about addiction. But what they did do was... Um, put you in a sauna for six hours a day and give you nice nice and B4. And the idea was just to sweat the drugs out of you. To your That's a very clean. old school philosophy on rehab, isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, it was it's all just... all physical, not... Yeah, mental. yeah, it was all physical. I mean, for, to start with, there was some mental stuff later, which was that L. Ron Hubbard kind of weird shit. But <laughs> um, at the time, I was just like, this is cool. It's a sauna. And I just kicked back there. And I remember I sold my leather jacket to one of the girls there and I jumped the fence and I went downtown and I got some speedballs and just came back and just, it was all like a joke to me, you know, mm. like it was all like, I'm just doing this for my girlfriend. You know, I haven't really got a problem. And, um, mm. you know, uh, uh, what would you, looking back, what do you think about that time? Oh, uh, look, uh, you know, that wasn't my first rehab, you know, I, I, it was only later on when I came back to Australia and this pattern was just re-emerging. And, and what was, time was, what, what year was this? Uh, this was 98. I was back in Australia after years of living in Los Angeles and, and, and doing quite well like as a career. But I always thought I got into that career because I knew drugs would be available. Um, you know, I was always around people who used drugs and wanted drugs. And in the film industry, that was a really big thing. I remember when I was in LA, we were doing music videos and I used to, to tell the runner, I'd give him petty cash of about $1,000 because I was producing by then, and I'd say, go get, you know, go get some coke, go get a few balloons of heroin, get, um, you know, uh, <laughs> get everything for the crew, basically. Wow. And, um, yeah, and that's what why he could do. I, why couldn't I be on these shoots? Yeah, well, sometimes... <laughs> I, miss, I, miss the, I miss the area, yeah? Yeah, but the problem is you'd get your friends who are just as fucked up as you and they wouldn't come back they just spend the thousand dollars fucking you could be ringing Life them of a drug addict, yeah. yeah yeah that's they're all drug addicts and fucked up people anyway so they never came back but um <laughs> you never learned did you 
But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, there's a lot of, yeah, so I was always drawn to taking drugs or, or kinds of drugs and having alcohol. And I came back here and I had my partner at the time um, said, you know, this is, uh, now, now I was 32, 33. She said, like, you know, really, you really do have a problem. <laughs> like, again, you know, like, you really, really do. Like, I'm not kidding this time. You really are. And um, so I went to rehab again. And this time I kind of, um, I remember the counsellor saying, look, Tell me your drug history from day one, and tell me all that you've had and what's happened. And and I went oh, okay, and I, w- I went through it. And um, at the end of it, I kind of thought, and, and he said, like, you know where you are, right? And I said, yeah, I'm in rehab. And it kind of suddenly struck me that all my life, since I was about fourteen, I would be using and abusing and getting and finding drugs of one means or another every day of my life for about 15 years like literally every single day I had not had one day where I had not had a drug or a drink or not looked to get a buzz off something in all that time and and it just struck me in that moment that um it kind of got through this thing called denial like for me I just denied it up till then that I had a problem and he made me kind of Look at myself, and um, that was the start. Uh, like it was almost like a second. How did that pu- feel? At the time, like it was like uh, it was really kind of a really deep sadness because you realised that you could have been, you could have not had this kind of fucked up life. Because mm. I mean, in, you could have been Martin Scorsese. You could have, been, yeah. I could have still been in Hollywood. <laughs> I don't know. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, can, a lot I, of can I just go back? So it's ninety eight. But can I just go back to when you first started, just for quickly? Um, what do you think? So, were you around? Were your parents alcoholics or anything like no, that? No, my, my my father was and mother weren't alcoholics, and my brothers aren't addicts or alcoholics or anything. I so, mean, okay, but so back to that question we was asked on Sympathy for the Devil podcast: uh, <laughs> nature or nur- nurture? In your case, I think it's a bit of both, as you say. I'm not sure about the percentage, but definitely, uh, my father was really absent emotionally. I mean, it's funny. You know, you talk about your alcoholic parents, and even though my parents were an alcoholic, there was some relatability, especially around my father, because he was so absent emotionally. I was never sure whether I was okay, whether I was loved by him, whether because the old school, like Protestant, like kind of hard, yeah, like that kind of upbringing. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. His father save all your money. Yep, yeah, yeah. That's right. Straighty one eighty. Exactly, and never. The only time I saw him cry was when um, his football team, Fitzroy, played their last game. Um, oh, yes, 96. Yeah. yeah. That's the only I time mean, I ever saw him cry because he loved the Roys. and um, didn't, when they, like, didn't like the Brisbane Lions? Yeah, didn't like the Brisbane Lions. <laughs> so it was a very does? sad day. <laughs> <laughs> I live in Brisbane now. I better start talking positively about them. Yeah, Go yeah. Brisbane Lions. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, look, that, that and, and, and I guess it's that fear you're talking about. Like, I had a fear... Um, you know, I was like ADHD. I was very disruptive at school. I um, I was always sent out of class. Mm-hmm. I, I was just, you know, looked at as a kind of bad student. And look, you know, here comes Jane. Here comes trouble. Mm-hmm. Like, and um, but you know, you're, you're, you know, your brothers had it had it together. Well, they had it together. Yeah, kind of. Well, then none of us. Yeah, they they weren't drug addicts, and they didn't go to the extremes that I did. And they used to say, "You're the black sheep of the family," and they'd say, "You you're adopted. You know that, don't you?" Um, as a joke, as a joke, right? Yeah. And we're all really close today, and uh, we get on really well. Um, 
And, you know, I did smoke a lot of pot with my brothers and drink a lot, but they just didn't go to the extremes that I went to. Mm. And, I, I, and I, that, you know, I just really felt the absence of my father growing up. Mm. Um, Are you, were you the, in the order of birth? Were you the younger? No, I was a second. I have a younger brother. Um, you and between. two older brothers, yeah. Often called the lost child when I've been to psychologists, whatever that means. Mm. Uh, they go, all right, yeah, yeah, the lost child. Well, I know exactly what's wrong with you. Um, but yeah, you know, like, um, you know, I don't seek to blame them at all. But obviously, as we've discussed in Sympathy for the Devil, your upbringing has a lot to do with what you mm. do with your life and what attracts you. And, you know, mm. drugs have always. And what about your mother? You. My mother was, uh, you know, she she knew that there's, <laughs> she knew that I was a problem, and she actually gave me as much attention as she could and love as she could. But she was uh, had her own career. She had three other boys, all two years apart, and we were all kind of very energetic boys. So she really had her hands full. But she always told me I knew that I had to try and give you more attention than anyone else, but that never seemed to be enough for mm. you. And I said, yeah, I wish you didn't have any kids except me so I could have all the attention <laughs> I needed, you know. Yeah. But that wasn't what happened. Okay, now. so back to 1998 then. So you're going to rehab, you're starting to realize, like, just, I guess, that you do have a problem. I do have a problem. <laughs> so, I mean, everyone else was saying, mm. I don't know why I couldn't see it. I didn't have any friends left, no girlfriend left. I was living back at mum and dad's. Mm. I was broke. I was in my mid-30s. I remember running into a friend I was at school with, and he was a lecturer at university. And I said, oh, well, can you buy me a beer? Because I fucking broke on the doll. Uh, you know, oh, but no. I felt really bad, you know, because he was, his life had become really interesting. Mm. Here and I was, was, you know, fucked up, you yeah. know. Just so I didn't have any money. Uh, well, um, the first thing was kind of having that conversation with this psychologist and, and realizing that I, have to, I did have a problem, you know, like even though I couldn't see it, everyone else could see it, but I couldn't see it. And then start to do something about it. And that was, you know... Well, I started going to 12-step programs and got some mentors who had been through what I'd been through and they just encouraged me to, you know, just try and live differently, I try and get some balance in my life, try and... How was it initially to to kind of say no? Like you said, you were chasing some type of substance every day for 15 years. Yeah. How was it when you started not doing that? Like, how did you fill your days? Like, what was... Yeah. Did, you, was... Have, did you have any moment where you're like... Yeah, I'm no. really bored. I want to go back to it. Or well, actually, you know what happened? Um, what happened was I moved into a house of other people who were recovering from addiction for six months, and all we used to do was try and help each other not pick up each day. Um, we'd go to the beach. I think we we're all on the dole. Uh, we'd go to the beach. We'd back when the dole was good. Yeah, back, <laughs> back when you could make before Howard. Yeah, before Howard. Yeah, no, it was we're lucky, you know, it was lucky. Um, and they were in a kind of a support group, you know, and um, everyone would keep tabs on each other and we formed a really strong bond and it was a bond that just helped me get through that initial year of sobriety and not picking up anything. Um, you know, it wasn't until, um, you know, about two or three years of sobriety and, the, and, and I was back at work and... You know, life was happening that I thought, you know, maybe I'll have a drink. Yeah. And I had a drink and... Um, so this is after you had stuff back together? Yep. I had... Well, when I, I, things are starting to improve, you know? Mm. Like I was starting to do things that I, worthwhile. I, worthwhile and, and I was starting to... Good work. Yeah, could work again. And I picked up a drink and um, within a year I was back in detox and... Um, and So why, why does... Why do you think that... So you're back in detox... 
what do you think at this stage? Like you must be like, oh, I've really got a problem now. Like there's no, there's no doubting it. There's no doubting it now. (laughs) Surely not. And I was, uh, yeah, I was listening. I couldn't. But when you picked up that drink, did you think it would just be fine? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I thought, look, I needed a break, you know, to get my head together, to get my life straight. And I've had my break and, um, now I can have a just have a drink, just have a beer, like everyone that's else. What, I mean, I'm I haven't I've never considered myself that I have a problem with alcohol, really. But I am taking a rest from alcohol at the moment, and I'm finding it very, very hard. And um, I have no doubt that when I pick up the drink again, which will be you know when I've had a, when I've had enough of a rest, I'll be like, well, this is fine. I'm going back to just drinking now. And then yeah. um, I mean, I did do a couple of really stupid things before I stopped. Uh, before I stopped drinking. Yeah. And so I never want to go back to that again, even though yeah. they were minor things. Like yeah. I still don't think that that was me. Yeah. So I guess it's a cycle of discovery that everyone has to go through. Like they always say that you just don't have one shot at rehab. You you always have two or three or four before you yeah. sticks. Well, hopefully, hopefully you get it. I mean, I've been um, trying to be... Well, reco- I'll use the word recovery... Um, which just means trying to get clean, being in a program, trying to work in a way that's healthy for you for 20 years. Mm. So, but back to that time where you just were back in detox again. Yeah. Where were you at then? Were you like, oh, okay, I, was, I, I absolutely have to get clean yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, no, it. no. Within that, within that 18 months from my first drink, it didn't happen straight away. Like I, I, I had a few beers that night and I thought, look, nothing. I didn't pick up any drugs. I had a good night. I had a couple of beers. But over the, a period of about a year, it went from beers, you know, to wine, to cast, to spirits. Like, it just progressed. And then to drugs, to, and then to really hard drugs again. And, and I was mixing drugs and alcohol. And, um, yeah, I remember this guy in my cricket team. <laughs> 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 um, he, he he said after cricket, oh mate, you know you use heroin, don't you? And I went, oh yeah, occasionally. And he said, oh, well, come on, I got some. Let's cricket, have it. cricket exactly doesn't <laughs> cricket. have. Does, you don't yeah. kind of think of heroin when you think of cricket, do you? <laughs> yeah, no, you don't. I wouldn't think <laughs> Ricky, guy, Ricky wouldn't Ponting have wouldn't have wouldn't have made ten thousand test runs if he was shooting up. That's right. He was a good bowler too, you know. But he wanted a shot, you know. And he ended up um, in Long Bay. He tried to do a robbery a couple of months later. It just just gets worse. I remember him calling me, and I said, dude, do not call me. I do not want to associate with you anymore, you know, like it got really serious. And um, and then I ended up detox. And I was only 18 months from my first drink. Mm. And, um, you know, this is like so, 37, 38. So, so what year was this? Like uh, 2000s. 2000s, you know, still trying to get clear, having a year of sobriety, getting my life together, having mm. a good time. And it wasn't too hard, you know, but then mm. thinking I'm okay. I'm okay. So when you went for that second detox, you got out and you were good again? Yeah, I was good for a long time. Um, a long time. You and know. What, what was different about it this time? You thought you were actually trying to do it. It's a good question. What was different about it this time? I think I kind of finally fucked myself completely, like again, like really. And um, You reached your rock bottom. Another rock bottom. I'd reach, you, can get, you can keep digging though. Um, <laughs> I found. The core of the earth is very, yeah. it's far away away. It's a long way away. The rock water will just keep on going, man. But um, yeah, and uh, I was pretty shocked at where I'd been. I mean, I didn't sleep for about six days in this place. It was hell. 
It was a public detox. So physical. Oh, it was hideous. It was like the beds were plastic. You know, it was like food was terrible. Everything that you'd imagine. In yeah, detox, every imagine. Every deep, stereotype. A public one, you know. I yeah. think I got private health care after that. Was this I in thought, Sydney? I'm never going to, but yeah, in Sydney. I'm never going to go back to this public shit hole again. I'm going to get private insurance, <laughs> which proved to be a good investment. <laughs> <laughs> See, you're making good calls even though you were. Yeah, that's right. I had a bit of sanity on board. <laughs> but yeah, man, I got out and I just, I'm never going through that again. And I um, hooked up with some friends who were, you know, still clean. And I, uh, you know, hung around with people who didn't drink. Um, you know, I got married to a woman who didn't drink. Um, she was aware of my history and was very supportive. I started to get the work that I wanted to get work in and I felt like my talents were being used and I was using a lot of me, you know, like every part of me was being used to, 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 was to be in having life. A, having a son, did that help? Did having a son help or not, do you think? Ooh, um, that, that happened because uh, I had my son a bit later. Um, no, that's, that didn't, <laughs> didn't help at all. It, quite the opposite, actually. Um, mm. I've struggled. It's interesting. Because I think for, for me, it definitely helps a bit to have some responsibility. Well, it, it does. I mean, if, if our family had stayed together, but I married, I didn't marry his mother. Um, we had a very short romance and she got pregnant. And um, then we separated. Well, no, we didn't separate until he was three, but we were in really big trouble a long time before that. And, um, you know, we do not get on, we do not see the world in the same way. We do not bring up our son the same way. So it's been a constant source of anxiety and anger. So you think it's a trigger, it's a trigger. It's been an absolute trigger. You know, I've relapsed a couple of times, not very badly, but I have uh, relapsed a couple of times and, um, it's been all around, uh, my feelings that, that's happening between my son and my ex-partner, but it's, it's almost like I get overwhelmed. Like I've had to realize that I'm not, like I have got a problem and I need to address it. Like I can't think that I'm normal. Like sometimes I take on all this work and I just forget that I've got a um, condition that needs treatment and needs, I need help with it from all different sources and I need to have a balanced life and Mm. eat well and sleep well and exercise. I need to do all that. As soon as I forget that, and so I travelled a lot with work for years and I just used to be in hotel rooms and Hotel rooms are the worst. The worst. And I get a call from my this mother and my son and she'd tell me some bullshit and I'd just go, <laughs> Fuck. This yeah. is a nightmare. And the alcohol's go right the, there. Yeah, the alcohol's there and the chemist is around the corner. This is when co- you get codeine off off the counter. Yeah. You can't do that anymore. You know, I go get a packet of um you know, panadine and uh, have have the packet, have a six pack, get a buzz on and um, think everything was all right, but um, you know it wasn't. And this has been a pattern, you know. And I'm, uh, I, I, I um, still struggle with it to this day, you know. Like it's not an easy thing, this condition. So this is kind of why I'm kind of interested in talking to everyone, talking to you, and all the people who've got have come in on this show, you know, just to hear their stories because uh, so I can't figure it out. You still can't figure it out. <laughs> still can't fucking figure it out. <laughs> I'm still doing. I might be still digging that hole. You know, I don't yeah. know. I don't know. I, so, I haven't, maybe I haven't reached my rock bottom. But I hope, you know, I hope so. Um, I hope but, so too. Yeah. Okay, so you always feel like you're. You always talk about um, you know if people can uh, stop or not, and if they go back, and you know we had a couple of people come on 
um, say, yeah, they can go and do their thing and then yeah. bring themselves out of it very easily. And I remember like when, when, when you were talking, Charlotte, Charlotte yeah. and myself of gambling. And you, yeah. Um, I had a bet on the weekend. I was fine. I didn't spend $100. I spent yeah. $10. But don't you think it's very risky, given your history, to do that? It is. Uh, no question. Uh, but you weigh it up and you but, think. But yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's things like my family and that keeping me i used to have a lot of disposable income yeah, but i have a family too i've got a wife and a kid but i can't have one beer because mm. it just opens well i guess there's i guess the way i would answer that is there's degrees of degrees of addiction like yeah some people are really really chained and some people can get over it mm. and and be able to do that thing where they can go back and forth yeah and some people can't touch it ever again yeah. and some people never even recover some people, yeah, that's right. Some people, so you've at least you've recovered. Yeah, today. Yeah. I look at some people and they've just been alcoholics their whole entire lives. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I, I have been going to 12-step groups on and off for 20 years. And the th- thousands of people that I've seen in meetings never come back. I mean, the people who actually hang around are about one in 40. Like, really? I don't know what happens to the other 39. They ever die or they're just forever... Yeah. Miserable. Well, yeah. for a, they figure out a way to... Or to, drug aids, whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, just survive. And I don't know, it's really a, a tragic kind of condition because it is like diabetes. You have it for your whole mm. life and you have to be really careful. I, I mean, I don't think you probably agree with that idea, but you know, I tend to think for me it is like diabetes. I have a condition mm. that needs uh, needs a treatment. Yeah, you know? I think for some people it definitely is. And I well for your mum it would be yeah I mean for sure she's, and I, she's like classic alcoholic I think yeah and I think some people um, yeah they just always had it have it chained to them so their addiction is always it's chained to their leg like a like a ball like a prisoner yeah in 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 a jail it's always with them they feel the weight it's always uncomfortable when they're moving around and um, I think I think a lot of people actually deal with it and I reckon there are so many addicts. Like that we deal with on a daily basis, and we probably don't know what they're addicts. Yeah, because a lot of people hide their addictions very well. Yeah, it, you know, it's interesting because I was talking, and to, also with sorry before you go on, and also yeah. with, with alcohol. Yeah, like it's so normalised in Australian culture. Like you know, to almost not drink is almost like, hey, that's noticeable because you're not drinking. Why are you not drinking? Yeah, but it's that difference between. I mean, in the in in AA, which I go to sometimes too, they talk about an allergy. To, to to the actual substance. It sounds like your mother had a... It's kind of when you have it, you, you, a switch has clicked in your body and it, you turn into kind of like a different person almost. Um, you know, it's actually... They call it almost like an allergy to alcohol. Um, yeah, but what was the question? What are you fucking talking about? Drugs. <laughs> Drugs and alcohol. My favorite subject. I don't subject. know. I think we went off. Um, um, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just, it, 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 we're interesting because you're, you know, you, you say that you are a gambling addict, but you can still gamble where I'd say I'm an alcoholic addict and I can't pick up a drug or a drink because it will lead to disaster mm. where with you it won't. That's so right. are you really an addict? Well, I am because it's like I, I know that I am. I know I have no control over. Well, I guess I do have some degree of control. So that's what you're talking about. Yeah, that's right. That now a, you do. There was you a period didn't, didn't. where I didn't. You did. There was a period where you didn't. And it's still very dangerous, yes, to yeah. go back and do those things. But yeah. um, I've taken the step. Gambling's a lot different to drinking. Uh, it's like it's a process addiction. 
Um, I stay away from generally from places where I know it's a high risk area for me. So like a casino, um, I know that's where I did my worst gambling and I stay away from casinos. Horse racing has never really been a massive thing for me, but that's so I can do that every now and then. Yeah. Um, and you know, I don't, I've kind of put so many safeguards in place that I just can't do it. So I don't get much money a week that I can actually see. So I don't have much money so i think you know if i I have this amount of money then i need to keep it for eating or whatever it is um but back in the day i didn't care every last dollar i'll just go right on the gambling i mean that's what i was like with with using and drinking i mean i'd spend it all on friday like in a payday be all gone you know like i didn't care about yeah go and get a slab yeah whatever it is or whatever yeah um but okay so just back to you james so um where do you think you are now with your life and with your addiction do you feel like you're in a good spot uh do you feel like you're kind of still fighting and uh what are your thoughts for your future uh look i've never really been one to set goals or look too much in the future i mean today i'm all right today i'm clean and quite um quite bubbly quite bubbly yes (laughs) uh but um you know look I, i i i you know, I like the life I'm living I've, at the moment. I've kind of accepted that I've got to do certain things to look after myself and I can't really be this person I thought I was who could conquer the world. I'd like to think that I can, but I really can't. I've really got to today accept that, you know, I have a condition which needs looking after. I need to look after myself in certain ways um to survive really to literally to survive i mean i've od'd a couple of times woken up in hospital and um or in an ambulance or something like that you know I, i'm lucky to be here you know um in a lot of ways i know friends uh, who, who have died i've been to a couple of funerals of friends uh, very, my best friend hung himself um we were in rehab together and he got clean and was clean for a long time eight years um, he was my best man at my wedding and, um, and he picked up a drink at his wedding and, um, ended up picking up heroin and not being able to get clean and hanging himself in a men's shelter in the city by himself, uh, just because he felt there was no way out for him anymore and he'd reached the end of the road, which is really sad because he was a very talented, smart guy and very charismatic and had a lot to live for and a lot to achieve and didn't happen and that's just one of the people's funerals I've been to he was a particularly good friend mm. so for some reason I'm still here and um, you know today I feel as I'm still trying to deal with it yeah I'm still trying to I know I've got this fucking thing man like um, comes yeah, up they, sometimes they say it's a monkey on your back yeah <laughs> yeah sometimes they say um, it's a monkey on your back and then you wake up and in the morning it's sitting on the end of your bed and it says, there you are, I've been waiting for you to wake up. Um, you know, it's just so we <laughs> get back in your head and start mm. fucking with you, you know. like um, So, yeah, it's a bit like that sometimes, you know. Um, but, you know, but then again... Um, so what's your... If you had... Um, you know, you said you were a son and, uh, you know, obviously you care about people with addictions. What would you say to your son... Um, if you wanted to take substances, if you pick up a fucking drug, gonna kick your butt. No, <laughs> I don't know. Um, no, I think. Look, he's got his own journey. I, I can't really, <laughs> I can't really say what's going. He's definitely an addict. He's already addicted to video games, like totally. 
he, he is on the path to addiction, but emotionally he has been very filled up as a kid. Like he's been very unlike you, unlike me. So that might may have a difference, but he's definitely got all the signs of an addict, and he's on his own journey. All I can say is I'll be there for him. I love him, but um, you know he's his person or, or becoming his person, and I'll try and be as supportive around that as I can. And um, but I won't be kind of giving him any big lectures on drugs because I know that they don't work. You know, I've had a lot of them and they never work for me. Thanks for your time on Sympathy of the Devil, James. No worries. Sorry, I'll do that again. Thanks for your time, James, and thanks for telling your story to me. No worries, Adam. Um, thanks for listening, and um, see you guys next week for our next addict's terrible story of rock bottoms. Okay, bye. To join the discussion, visit our Facebook page, Sympathy for the Devil Podcast, and let us know what you think.